Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you in on something super exciting. We are launching a new podcast network. It's called Gable Media. That's Gable like a roof but leave off the E, G-A-B-L, Gable Media. This is something that I wanted to do for a very long time, and it's finally happening. I've invited my friend Demetrius Lynch from Spaces Podcast to join my team, and he's working hard developing and producing our very first new show. It's a new podcast about marketing, branding, and the power of telling your unique story as a small firm entrepreneur architect, it's hosted by my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles of Echo Engagement. The Build Your Brand podcast is coming this March. Here's a little teaser just to give you a little taste of what we're working on. So that's a good question. What does an architect do? For a long time, I've wondered why some companies succeed and some don't. Why one can rise to be synonymous with an industry while many of the most creative on the planet toil away in relative obscurity. I'm Jeff Eccles, and I invite you to join me for the Build Your Brand podcast. It's the podcast mini-series where I'll explore how the best brands in the world think differently, and act differently on their way to becoming the best. And what you can learn from them, because no matter the size, the journey is the same. 
This season, I'll open the cowl and look inside Southwest Airlines to see what makes them tick and what architects can learn from an airline that started with a simple purpose that's grown into a cult-like dedication to what matters most. Well, at first, the board wanted to upgrade and change the way they did things. They even voted to put some of these things in place, but Herb Kelleher overruled them. He knew that Southwest couldn't do the things they did. They couldn't give people the freedom to fly in the same way if they made these changes. He also knew the airline industry really well and knew that first-class service with bargain basement prices wouldn't work. When we started out, we said, we're gonna have a special niche in the industry. And if we're gonna make it a really distinctive niche, we have to do things innovatively. And so we did. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a really big company that does something completely different from what I do. And they've got a really big budget to boot. Here's a hint. Even if you don't have a half billion dollar marketing budget, some of the things that companies like Southwest Airlines do to rise to the top are both free and priceless. Join me in March as I start out on my Build Your Brand journey by exploring Southwest Airlines' origin story and uncovering the one simple idea that changed everything and allowed you to be, as Southwest puts it, You are now free to move about the country. So watch for Build Your Brand podcast launching in just a few weeks. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business. As a small firm entrepreneur architect, this is episode 310, Fighting for a Public Understanding of Why Good Architecture Matters, with Jessica Letaw of Building Matters Ann Arbor. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all free at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure, spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Gusto, Easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses just like ours. Jessica Litaw, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Uh, Jessica is the Executive Director of Building Matters Ann Arbor, an organization based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, dedicated to exploration, education, and advocacy around a future for Ann Arbor that is more beautiful, diverse, equitable, and sustainable. Jessica is also the vice chair of Ann Arbor's Downtown Development Authority, uh, a member of the Ann Arbor Ypsilanti uh, Chamber of, I looked that up, so I get credit for that. Ypsilanti <laughs> uh, Chamber of Commerce Policy uh, Committee and the founder of the local housing advocacy group, Ann Arbor Yimby, that's with a Y. Yes, in my backyard, Yimby, Y-I-M-B-Y. Uh, as opposed to NIMBY, this is YIMBY. Um, and she's committed to uh, community organizing around housing, affordability, and accessibility. Jessica believes that thriving community is one that works well for everyone. And I've learned a little bit about you, uh, Jessica, and I, and I really love what you're doing. And I really am looking forward to this conversation. So 
Um, let's do that. But before we get into the discussion about um, about uh, uh, Building Matters Ann Arbor and all the other things that you're doing, let's talk about you. Let's learn more about you and your origin story. Go back to as far as you want to go back. I like mm-hmm. to sort of leave that up to you. Um, <laughs> to where you sort of discovered your passion for what you're doing today uh, mm-hmm. and share that story and that journey to where you are today. Um, that That's a great question. And every time I tell this story, I, I start in a different place, but it always ends up in the same place. So let's see what happens today. Okay. Um, when I was nine, uh, I knew I was going to be an architect when I grew up. I was a big doodler. I loved math. Um, I, I felt like super strong on it. Um, and then I proceeded to go to school and study German linguistics. Um, so slightly different career That's path. not architecture. <laughs> it was not. Um, but on the tail end of it, I realized that I wanted to get back to it. So I went to graduate school for architecture. Um, I'm originally from Georgia. My undergraduate degree is from the University of Georgia. Um, But when I was applying for architecture programs, I knew that if I was going to do something so different, I wanted to do it in a different place. So I applied only to places where it snowed. Um, And I got in most places. uh, And when I got into the University of Michigan, I'd never, I wasn't even totally sure, like on the map where it was. So I came to visit the city uh, before deciding whether to accept um, the position in the grad program, and I completely fell in love with Ann Arbor. Um, The town itself was charming. The department was really exciting in the work that they were doing, um, and it felt like it was going to be the right step for me. So I relocated from Georgia to Michigan, um, studied architecture in the grad program uh, here at the university, Um, and I knew almost as soon as I moved up here that Ann Arbor was going to be my home for a long time. Um, So shortly after, I looked for... Uh, shortly after I was done with school, I looked for a job that combined both communications and the architecture studies that I'd had and ended up going to work uh, for a local design build firm uh, in their marketing and communications. That was fantastic. It was a great fit for me um, because it married what I did well and what I love to do, which was connect with people and connect people to the built environment. Um, I loved my team. I loved my staff. I loved my work. And yet I left a couple of years later, um, continuing to work with them, but expanding the uh, the practice to focus on small firms around the country. Um, And what I wanted to do was work with small architecture firms, small builder firms, specifically on marketing, specifically on Uh, sustainability messaging, um, because I saw that as a real challenge um, for folks who are looking to grow that area of their practice. um, And, you know, from market to market, from community to community, it's different. So I was doing all of that and loving it and growing the portfolio um, to the point where uh, at at one point I was working with folks coast to coast. Um, And at the time, I was kind of spinning up my own practice, you know, my own consultancy and realized kind of the latitude of working for myself gave me a pretty flexible schedule. So I got to get involved in the community in a way that I never had before. Um, I volunteered with a number of nonprofits. I helped create summer camp programming around architecture. Um, I was on the consulting team for the local um, building update at the local hands-on museum, uh, which is our our children's museum here in Ann Arbor. And after a few years of this, I kind of got to this watershed moment where work was going so well and the community work was going gangbusters, but one of them was going to start coming at the expense of the other. Um, And and I had to decide like which which path I wanted to choose. And I love Ann Arbor. I I have since the moment I stepped foot here. Um, And so I decided that I wanted to focus on community conversations around architecture and the built environment. Um, So I I spent some time um, throwing around ideas, talking 
talking to potential community partners, potential funders, things like that about the idea. And eventually what emerged from that was Building Matters Ann Arbor. Um, and now we're in our second year of programming. We reached almost a thousand people in our first year. We had two dozen um, sponsors and cross-promotional partners. Um, I could go on and on and on, but it feels like this is right place, right idea, right time for sure. All right, I have a, I have a bunch of questions. <laughs> all right, let's do it. First of all, you said you only applied to schools where there was snow. You yep, so you did. did you grow up in Georgia? I did. So yes. you just wanted out of the south, and you wanted to go somewhere where it was where it was cold and snowy. I am done with being hot forever. <laughs> all right, and so so that answered my first question. Um, and then, so what was it when you got to Ann Arbor? And mm -hmm. you, you clearly are passionate about Ann Arbor and you love Ann Arbor. And I've met other people who, uh, who are from Ann Arbor or have gone to school at University of Michigan. And they, too, are all in, right? They, yeah. the m m people who go to University of Michigan are crazy people. <laughs> they are probably the most passionate people I've ever met about their school. Yep. Um, I have good friends from, from, uh, UM. Um, and so what is it, what is it about Ann Arbor that you and all the other people who love Ann Arbor so much, what is it about Ann Arbor? I've never been there. What is it that, that you, you, that you fell in love with the minute you stepped on the, on the ground? Well, I'm, I'm going to give two answers yep. to that question. One is before I got here um, and one is after. So uh, part of the criteria that I used to assess which uh, cities I wanted to move to and therefore which schools I wanted to apply to, um, the city had to have a municipal recycling program. It had to be able to support a car-free lifestyle because I didn't want to move with a car. I had a one million year old Dodge Dakota truck and I was determined not to hang on to it. Um, and it needed to have a queer friendly community. Um, and so that uh, those three things together, you know, really kind of clarified uh, where I was gonna live. Ann Arbor had all those three, you know, in spades. And then when I got here, you know, I, I was able to live in terms of um, sustainability and the community that I wanted. Um, that I had like boots on the ground the minute that I got here. What I found was a community that was so welcoming um, and so opinionated that I just fell in love immediately. And and to ground that a little bit, um, I grew up in Atlanta and suburban Atlanta, um, and the suburb that I grew in grew up in. Um, there was just really a remoteness to the community, um, kind of compounded by the fact that I didn't go to school locally. I, I was bused to a different, still public school, but bused to a different district. Um, and so the feeling of community and building community was not a natural one where I lived. Um, and so there was a real sense of disconnect. Um, we didn't go to church in our neighborhood. Uh, I think we grocery shopped in our neighborhood. Nothing was walkable, you know, and so that was really challenging. In Ann Arbor, everything's piled on top of one another and everybody has 10 opinions about any one given thing. And the messiness and the noise, like the um, opinion noise of that is just very comforting for me. Yeah, because that was very interesting that you, that you used the word opinionated. That people yeah. were opinionated. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. And so everybody. And, and what is, I mean by that is that people yeah. care passionately about where they live, and and that wasn't necessarily my experience in the community where I grew up. So the fact that they care is just it's it's music to my ears. Yeah, I just I moved from um, New York, Westchester County, New York, about forty minutes mm -hmm. north of New York City, to um, Charlotte, the Charlotte, North Carolina region, mm -hmm. uh, just about a half hour south of Charlotte, the city, mm -hmm. uh, in a town called Waxhaw. And mm -hmm. and I am exactly where you said you were. I mm -hmm. this is this is one big gated community after another, and there's no sense of uh, of of a of a community here. 
Right. You know, you, right. you can find it if you go look for it. You know, there's mm-hmm. some, the old town of Waxhaw is still there. It was built in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. You know, that's there. When you go there, you feel very welcomed and, and grounded in mm-hmm. a place. Um, mm-hmm. Where I live now, and we're here because of family, and, and I love it. I love North mm-hmm. Carolina, and I love Charlotte. But where I was in North, you know, um, just north of New York City, mm-hmm. I, there was community and there and there was history. There's lots of mm-hmm. history and there's very mm-hmm. little history where I specifically where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can understand that. I can understand that move from Atlanta to Ann Arbor when Ann Arbor mm-hmm. has that sort of mm-hmm. that, that vibrancy. And, mm-hmm. and w- the word opinionated is very interesting that they're, <laughs> they're passionate about yes. their place. Right. Yes. That they that yes. they they love where they live. That it's not yep. just a place that they're living. They love no. where they live. It's part of who yep. they are. It's part of their identity. Yep. Yeah. And and I would argue that's true for anyone, right? Like where we are is an important part of who we are. And and as architects, uh, the folks who are architects and urban planners. Um, people who are trained have a great language for that. People who aren't don't. You know, we're we're really not brought up as kids, as students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in mainstream culture, we don't have a language of place and space. And and I think that's one of the poverties of our public discourse is that we don't know to talk about our where, which means this really important part of our identity goes unspoken or misspoken. We miscommunicate a lot. Yeah. So so tell me about um, building matters Ann Arbor, and mm-hmm. and. What was the 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 seed of that? What was the origin of that? Um, I, I think it started 10 years ago when I moved to Ann Arbor and I looked for this. Um, I wanted a local organization that spoke to the built environment. As I mentioned, I came from German linguistics and I, as soon as I started my undergraduate degree, I started my graduate degree um, and I, I had no language for architecture and a lot of imposter syndrome coming into, <laughs> you know, this really amazing like highbrow program. Um, and so I looked for, you know, a group that I could talk to, maybe a local library of architecture or something like that, and didn't find it. I did find the local AIA uh, chapter. I did find um, our the school has an architecture library. So there were resources like that, but there, there felt it felt disconnected in terms of if I wanted to explore local architecture, not academic architecture or local history, then there wasn't a resource for that. So missing that wasn't a reason to make it until a few years ago when I realized that people actually kind of are hungry for the same thing that I am, which is a way to talk about place, a way to talk about community in a way that's meaningful and feels connected um, and in a way that matters. and so that's where, you know, the nonprofit participation came out of partnering with organi- organizations like Community Action Network of Ann Arbor. Um, as I mentioned, the Hands-On Museum, the Ecology Center, uh, I led a series of workshops um, portentously called the Building Matters Workshops a few years ago. Um, and I just saw an increasing hunger for this conversation from other people. It, it was a leap from pivoting from, you know, community conversation to actual organization, but there's precedent for this, right? Like there are architectural organizations all over the country. Ann Arbor is an outlier in that um, geographically and population wise, we're smaller than most places that have an, an architectural organization. So this is a bit of an experiment to see if we can make it work. But Ann Arbor is so culturally rich um, and, and culturally intensive in that way. And part because of the university, in part because of our proximity to Detroit, which itself is so culturally rich, um, that it feels like this is possible and sustainable. What's the what's the specific mission of of Building Matters Ann Arbor? I mean, not word for word, but what is what's the what's your goal? What's the end yeah. goal? Yeah, 
the end goal is a community of people that are literate about architecture, urban planning, the built environment. Um, we'd like to do that through discovery, through exploration, through education, through creating a platform for advocacy. You know, as I mentioned, we are a, a community of opinionated folks and being able to channel that energy into action is important. Um, but in the end, if we can just have a community of people who are literate about place, we will have done our job. And so, so you want to give them a language on how to speak about architecture and so how do you do that? Is it with programs? And you said that you do workshops and you've done exhibits. And, and so mm -hmm. it, is that how you're doing it? It's sort of just getting out there and having that conversation, giving it a place to, to have that conversation? Yeah, I mean, we're still working on our long-term goal. As I mentioned, we're just in year two, yeah. um, and in a couple of months, we'll be working on our first strategic plan to take us through year five. Um, so in the first couple of years, we've really focused on two areas of programming. One is partner programming, right? So uh, folks that are already running you know, robust organizations, but that are looking for new programs and materials to bring their audiences. Um, for example, we're working with a couple of classes in the local public school system. Um, we, are, we partnered with the local... Uh, uh, and um, 2030 district last year uh, on a benchmark benchmarking project. Um, there, there's a number of different partner programs. Uh, we did Parking Day uh, in conjunction with our local art center last year, which is uh, Tactical Urbanism Day. Um, really, really fun, led by a local architecture and design firm, or excuse me, architecture and fabrication firm uh, called Synecdoche Design, which is they themselves are doing really exciting things. Um, so there's the partner programming aspect of it. And then um, there's our architecture tours. So we're in the process of putting together a number of stories addressing different areas around town, different areas of interest that help tell the story of history and context. So in a way, we're not explicitly teaching the language. We're just kind of opening the door mm -hmm. to people understanding more about the place that they live that helps them understand a little bit more about how we got to be who and what we are today. And what's the benefit of doing that? Why, why have an entire organization to teach uh, the public this language? Why is it important that they do know the language? Because... I would argue that Ann Arbor is getting a lot of things right, but we're also not getting quite enough right and we're not doing it fast enough. So if you are earnest about solving climate issues, a lot of the ways that you address that is on the ground locally. If you are earnest at addressing um, differences in equity and opportunity, then a lot of that is on the ground municipally. But because architecture and planning and really everything to do with the built environment is so complicated conceptually and so complicated on the policy side. Mm -hmm. If we're going to make effective change, it can't be, we can't just wait for, you know, five or six people who know what they're talking about to save us. We need a whole community groundswell of people who know how to advocate for themselves when it comes to environmentalism, when it comes to sustainability, both environmental and financial, who knows how to advocate for equity. Um, so that's what we want to be is a platform for that language. And then that advocacy, not telling people how to think or what to do, but giving them context and then giving them resources to be able to advocate for themselves. Right. So all our cities and towns are growing, right? They're, yes. they're constantly. Well, many of them are. Yes. Right. Are not. Exactly. That's correct. So, but, yeah. but, but that it happens through development and yep. redevelopment, yep. right? And yep. that's, they, they take some things away and rebuild other things. And that's happening whether we're involved or not, right? Correct. Whether, whether all our communities are changing, whether or not they're growing, all communities are changing right. for sure. Exactly. Thank mm -hmm. you for that correction. But that's, that's yep. right. So they're changing. And so, and there are people and companies and, and organizations that, 
that are all in on that and mm-hmm. for different reasons mm-hmm. and and without the community understanding that language and understanding the effects of that development and redevelopment, mm-hmm. the long-term mm-hmm. effects, the immediate effects, mm-hmm. um, and not just a, you know, a, a, a NIMBY re- response, not in my backyard, you know, mm-hmm. not just that, because a lot of mm-hmm. people just say no development, right? Just mm-hmm. shut it down. Mm-hmm. I don't want any, I don't want any change. I like mm-hmm. it just the way it is, even mm-hmm. if it could be better. Um, mm-hmm. And so without having that, that um, community education, Mm-hmm. that development will happen however the people who are in power decide it will happen yes. right? without any influence mm-hmm. of the people mm-hmm. who live there. Yep, absolutely. And so this that's, so it's an incredibly important uh, play, uh, uh, organization that you've created that this is something mm-hmm. that really should be in every city in town. Um, I would say, I mean, building matters everywhere. So for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, and it's not necessarily sort of like the planning board or the, you know, or, or, um, or a, a group of people who are just sort of go to all the planning meetings and have their opinion. It's about mm-hmm. the whole community sort of embracing their community and having yep. a part of what happens. So like, like a family in their home, right? Mm-hmm. That, that when something's happening with the, with the home, typically the whole family sort of involved in those mm-hmm. decisions and how it's going to be um, uh, changed and what's going, where you're going to move and what's going to happen. And, and so, as All true. And part of why we wanted to form an organization, and when I say me, I mean our early supporters, our board, um, the uh, the whole Building Matters Ann Arbor community, which comprises so many you know volunteers and contributed, contributors in so many different ways. Part of the reason that we wanted to form an organization as opposed to, you know, just continuing to be, you know, just running around doing and saying stuff is that if we were going to effectively reach the community, you know, and and you can't say everyone because in part because that's an impossible ideal and in part because Ann Arbor is a transitory town, right? Like we're a university town. We have academic fellows moving through all the time, students moving through all the time, as well as natural uh, ebb and flow of population um, with respect to jobs and schools. So we can't reach everyone, but we can be available to anyone, um, but we need to have that durability and the consistency of what we're bringing forward in order to be able to reach folks consistently. Um, and, and that's really where the organization was born out of was if we want to see generational change and our vision is a 100 year vision, then we need to be committed with our resources, with our time, with our people for the long haul. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. If you work with specifications in your firm, you probably have come across outdated manufacturer specs with confusing notes, products that no longer exist, or even maybe even companies that no longer exist. Maybe you even pay for specifications. Stop. Stop right now. There's a better way to find manufacturer specifications for your project documentation. RCAT. RCAT.com. RCAT is the number one most used website for finding building product information and has a free library of over 1,400 up-to-date accurate specifications written by FCSI, CCS, and AIA professionals based on manufacturer's data. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right specifications for your project and quickly download them in multiple formats for free. That's right, RCAT is completely free. You don't even need to register. Just go to RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. And start building better content today. 
Do you remember when you started your architecture firm? Well, maybe you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you are in the middle of launching your architecture firm. It's not easy, is it? It takes lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Well, we are crazy busy, so why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. Yep, tax time's coming up. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and the outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free, free for 30 days, no catch, no credit card. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. To get started, visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. What do you think of when you hear the words payroll and benefits? Payroll and benefits. Does that make your skin crawl? Does it make your spine tingle? Payroll and benefits are hard. It's okay. It's hard, especially when you're a small business like us. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. A couple of more words that might make your skin crawl. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we're working today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show, the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free. Once you run your first payroll, just go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto to claim your free three months of payroll processing. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto for three months free. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Are there specific um, events or specific changes that are happening now in Ann Arbor that you're specifically targeting that, that you could use as an example of what you're doing? I would love to see our community get better at housing. Um, I, I do a lot of work on this personally, politically, um, but with respect to building matters, I, I would love to see us be a good partner in, in helping make Ann Arbor more affordable and more accessible. Um, we have a not great history of that. Um, recently, we were listed by Richard Florida as the eighth most segregated community in the United, economically segregated community in the United States. Um, within Michigan, I, I'd need to look at the statistics, um, but I think we're uh, 80th out of 83 counties in terms of economic mobility. So who you are when you move here is who you're going to be. Um, and that's not really okay if we're talking about equity. And a lot of that has to do with housing. Um, a lot of that, that a municipality, that a local community control is housing. Um, so 
I'm interested in folks getting a better understanding of what the challenges are, you know, what we have and what we don't have, what we need and what we don't need, what our tools are and what's not available to us, what needles we can change and what we can't. Um, because if we're going to kind of make a dent in those kind of grim statistics for what is a great community, but not equally great for everyone um, and not equally accessible to everyone, if, if we're going to move the needle, we're going to need a lot of help. Um, and Building Matters, I would love for us to be a partner in that work. Yeah, and housing is a perfect example of, of the NIMBY world, right? And when, whenever affordable housing starts being discussed in areas mm -hmm. that, that need affordable housing, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, that idea of what affordable housing is to people mm -hmm. instantly says, I don't want that. You know, I want that to happen because I feel that it's mm -hmm. important, but I don't want it in mm -hmm. my backyard. Right. And so, so I, yeah. And, and I, I get that I'm the founder of Ann Arbor Yimby and I have a lot of feelings around, you know, Yimby Nimby words, but I, I also want to push back and say that it's a lot mm -hmm. more nuanced than that. Um, folks care about their community, you know, and when they see prospective changes come up, what they're reading is, you know, how is this going to change traffic? I'm already seeing flooding in my community. Isn't new development going to make that worse? If we're truly working on the environment, do we really need more people living here? Um, so I, I, I really kind of want to push back on, on the NIMBY narrative as say, I, I default to saying no, um, because saying no is my response to change. Um, I'm also going to expand. So I live in a university town, like every paragraph is 27 parts. I'll just apologize for that now. Um, but, uh, I discovered something new recently that really kind of opened my eyes and got me excited when it comes to people and how they talk about and think about and feel about development and change. I had thought that it was human nature, that this reticence towards change was just a part of our DNA. Mm -hmm. It's not, that's really <laughs> exciting. It's actually, uh, it's an inheritance of ours from Victorian culture. So uh, technology was speeding up so fast, literally with trains, with uh, electrification uh, in homes and businesses. And this change was, genuinely dangerous you know like people were getting mauled in really gruesome ways by intercity transit yeah. um electrification uh and indoor plumbing were not necessarily safe um in the early days and so people had a very natural and i think um species uh, ensuring response to this saying I'm not going to take change necessarily as a good thing, which from the industrial age up to then, you know, when our social and technological change had been accelerating, um, people had kind of been embracing change as mostly an unadulterated good. Like, yes, things are getting better. I can afford, you know, better washing materials in my house. Um, the cities are getting larger and providing better amenities. There was an embrace of change until it got dangerous. So I think part of what we're seeing now is kind of this, at this point, a little bit stale, 125-year-old um, attitude towards um, accelerating change. So the reason that I got excited about it is that something that's encoded in our DNA, if this were a lizard brain thing, it would be much harder to move. Mm -hmm. But it's not. This is just a habit. So if we can shift the habit, I think we can get to a better nuance of not should there be housing or should there not be housing, but how will housing impact traffic? One might say that having more housing closer to jobs would actually really alleviate the traffic problems that we're having around here, but that's not a jump that's natural for people to make. So if we could put the brakes on the no mm -hmm. and, and kind of expand the space for let's explore this idea, I, I think we can get to more nuanced discussions of development. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 100% uh, agree. The, 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 when when um, a, one of the members in our community um, 
it was the one that connected Brian Burkett of Aspire Architecture was the one that connected us. Um, Shout out to he, Brian. Brian's a member of the Entree Architects community on Facebook, a very active Facebook group. Um, and we talk about all kinds of things and we were talking about something and, and actually he, and he emailed me. he was my mentor me. in grad school too. Oh yeah? Yeah, and, and he was listening to one of our recent podcasts and he emailed me just unsolicitedly and said, you need to talk to Jessica. And so that's, <laughs> that's how this happened. But in, in his email, it was very interesting that that uh, he used a very specific term, um, that you fight for the public understanding of what good architecture brings to people. I love that sentence. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm putting that on the business card. That's so great. That's what he said about you. That's <laughs> And I, I put it in my notes because I wanted to, to point it out, fighting for a public understanding of what good architecture brings to people. Yes. Because I think inherently, instinctively, we love architecture, right? There's very mm -hmm. few people who, mm -hmm. when you hear the word architecture, not development, not buildings, architecture when you hear the mm -hmm. word architecture and what architecture is mm -hmm. um most people embrace it most people say oh i love architecture mm -hmm. <laughs> right i love mm -hmm. i wanted to be an architect <laughs> right yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> right and so it's it's most of us love that right so if you can have that conversation around how architecture affects us in good mm -hmm. ways and bad ways um, and, and you can build a, a, a vocabulary around that and people, so un, people understand why they inherently love architecture or good architecture, um, that can then be, you know, uh, extended into this bigger conversation about how our cities and towns change. You know, it absolutely can. And, and I'll, I'll push that one step further and say that people are excited about architecture and simultaneously really afraid to talk about it. Um, so when it comes to things that all of us experience in our everyday lives, say something like food or podcasts, you know, or a book or something like that, we feel okay saying, I like this and this is why, or I don't like this and this is why. When it comes to buildings and design, people are much more tentative, right? Like they, they see a building and they have this really visceral response right away. Like, oh, I love that building. Or, oh, that building kind of unsettles me. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as it goes. And we, we're like, well, I'm no architect, so I don't want to say. Well, I mean, place is really kind of the one thing that all of us have in common is we all occupy a place all the time. And so not having that language, but even more having that fear of talking about it is doing none of us a service. So part of what we want to do is just break the architecture fear of, mm -hmm. you know, let's talk about what you like and what you don't like. Is it is it clunky? Is it color? Is it material? Do you feel like that should be metal where it's brick? Like, you know, you don't need to be an expert to have a vocabulary. Um but but there is that fear right now, and, and I'd love to see that go away. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and is that what those the tours that you're doing? Is that sort of what you're doing when you're walking through these these areas of the city, sort of explaining why they're feeling the way they're feeling? Um, it, it's it's never an explanation. Again, we we don't come at this mm -hmm. with an agenda. We're telling stories from history, um, but we're doing it in a really particular way. Uh, we don't necessarily hire experts from the building industry professions. Uh, we did have one realtor last year, um, but other than that, like we don't require a background in history or architecture. When we look for tour guides, what we look for are experienced storytellers um, tell, uh, and, and we train on content because the idea is that anybody can tell a good architecture story um, as long as you have the right information. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about 
<laughs> and I love architects and I've been a groupie of y'all for a long time, but like there's architects and there's normal people, right? So there's something about normal people leading tour architecture tours that makes them even more accessible to the people who take them. Yes. And I think a lot of architects are nodding their head right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We completely understand that. Yes. Yes. I say that with all love and gratitude that you exist. Yeah. You, you said late, uh, earlier that this is a 100 year mission. Yes. So, so what do you hope that uh, in Ann Arbor specifically, what do you hope Ann Arbor uh, will look like and, and be, um, what's the end result? 100 years from now, how has uh, Building Matters Ann Arbor affected change in Ann Arbor 100 years from now? I would love to see Ann Arbor. I'm, I'm going to speak to the city and not yep. to the organization because how, how we participate in that, who, the, the story is still yet to be written. Mm -hmm. I would love to see Ann Arbor a national leader for small cities in sustainability, radical sustainability, not incremental, um, for equity, true equity, again, not incremental, um, and, and not just a leader in static statistics, but a leader in demonstrating what uh, positive community growth and transformation looks like. You know, I pushed back earlier on your statement that all communities are growing, noting that not necessarily, but all of them are transforming. It's likely that Ann Arbor will continue to grow as a university town, as a satellite to a successful and fantastic city like Detroit. Um, we're, we're really a magnet for more and more people. We have a growing um, tech and professional services industry here. We've added something like, uh, aside from the university, something like 3,000 jobs uh, in a city of 120,000 people um, in the last 10 years. That's not insignificant, and it's likely to accelerate um, as, as these various sectors grow. So I would love for our community to be a template for what positive, healthy growth can look like. One of my griefs is that our conversation, our public conversation around development is one of the most toxic and abusive ones that we have. Um, the minute that you start talking about development, it's real easy to get into anger, into accusations, into abuse. Um, and we kind of consider this the status quo of what it means to talk about development. I don't think that has to be the case. I, I really don't. And so I would love Ann Arbor for be a t for Ann Arbor to be a template and a prototype for shifting that conversation into one that much better serves, uh, especially the folks for whom our city is currently not working very well. So in a hundred years, and I'm walking through Ann Arbor, can you yeah. sort of if and 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 uh, Building Matters Ann Arbor has been 100% successful in their mission. Hundred yes. years from now, yes. what does it actually look like? Like, what am I seeing? What am I feeling? How has it actually uh, changed in a way that that you've succeeded with your mission? You are in one of our small mini downtowns that is not actually downtown. Um, you only had to walk a few minutes from your house. Uh, which you are able to afford without too much pain um, to your favorite local coffee shop, to a place where you are able to buy food, um, to a place where your kids or your family or your dog uh, can rest and enjoy the outdoors because it is not brutally hot and humid here. I would just like to say that again, Georgia. You, you will always get that wrong. Um, so it, it, it's comfortable, it's accessible, and you don't have to be downtown to be in a place that's walkable and um, 
and convenient and connected. But if you'd like to get to another part of town, it's really easy to pop on uh, uh, the light rail um, connector that doesn't exist yet, but will in 100 years, um, and pop over to the brewery where your friends are meeting um, and be able to have a good time there. That's a beautiful vision. I'm looking forward to that. And and yeah, I won't be around there. in a hundred years, but <laughs> but uh, hopefully my kids will go and uh, and visit and explore. And I and and what I'm hoping is that other cities and other towns will um, be inspired. But what you're doing at Building Matters Ann Arbor, um, are are you planning to expand it beyond Ann Arbor? That's a great question, and I think that um, will be one of the questions that we pose to ourselves um, in our in our upcoming strategic planning initiatives. I will say that there's room for building matters everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as I said, this organization type is a little bit of an experiment um, in terms of you know can basically the question is can a tours organization exist in a city this size? Uh, and and our argument is yes, um, but these conversations are happening everywhere. There is always a place to dip in and to contribute. Um, And so if you believe, like I do, and if you're listening to Mark, you do, the building matters, um, then there is absolutely opportunities no matter where you are. If somebody wanted to get involved in specifically your organization, how would they do that? Um, first thing, reach out to email info at buildingmattersannarbor.org. I would love to talk to anyone and everyone um, who is considering something like this in their community. Um, but I would also recommend, you know, as I mentioned a little bit ago, the, the first place that I took this when I started having the idea in earnest was out to the community in conversation. I talked to other um, executive directors of nonprofits. I talked to folks in our local government. Um, I talked to people in the tech community, as I mentioned, and at the university and kind of got through those conversations, I wasn't asking any specific question, but just, you know, what do you see as the opportunity? What's the missed opportunity for our community? And and it typically came down to a, a disconnect between information and action. Um, and so Building Matters Ann Arbor is here to serve as that kind of connector between information and action, um, which is really about people and programs. That could look different in, in other communities, but you won't know until you talk to people. So it's really about establishing relationships and the dialogue for Yeah, fantastic. What was the email again? If somebody who was inspired by what you're talking about wants to do it in their own community, how do they reach out to you? Please, please, please reach out. We'd love to talk to you. It's info at buildingmattersannarbor.org. All right, great. Um, Before we wrap up, Jessica, uh, what is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? You know, I, I love that you asking this because um, this is what I did for a few years before I pivoted into Building Matters. Um, and I'll recommend actually what I just said, which is reach out to a community partner. I guarantee that you, if you are a professional, there is a local nonprofit or um, government, local government um, department that could absolutely benefit from what you have to say, whether it has pertains particularly to your practice um, or something a little bit sideways to it. But reach out to your local bookstore, your local museum, your local uh, kids organization, um, and just see what the opportunities are. I guarantee they'll be delighted to hear from you. Her name is Jessica Leetaw, like Seesaw. Like Seesaw. <laughs> it's, it's spelled out if you're Googling her, because I'm sure everybody's going to want to find out more about <laughs> Jessica. Uh, it's L-E-T-A-W, L-E-T-A-W, Leetaw. Um, the website is Building Matters, with an S, buildingmattersannarbor.org. We'll have links to everything on the show notes. So you can just go to the show notes for this episode and we'll have links to all, all of this. On Facebook, 
She's available at Building Matters A2, as in two A's, Ann Arbor, A and Arbor. So A2, the number two. So Building Matters, the letter A, the number two. Um, and on LinkedIn, uh, Jessica Lita. So Jessica, you are uh, incredibly inspiring. Oh, Mark, thank you. Thank you so much. You're what a welcome. great way to start the day. And thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. You're you're very welcome. I hope that um, other people who are listening are inspired to take action in their own communities uh, because I love the approach that you're taking, that this is not about, you know, shutting down the developers or, and, you know, building up the developers. This is about learning about architecture and educating mm -hmm. our public so they can be better better citizens of their communities and be involved yep. in the change that's happening in their communities. Yep. And, and I embrace that and I encourage others to do the same. And so I thank you for being a leader in our communities, specifically in our Ann Arbor, but being a leader now also ex expanding it beyond Ann Arbor, just as an example of what something, you know, architects or anybody who is interested in, in their communities uh, can do. So Jessica, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate what you're doing, and I thank you for joining me here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to episode 310. If you would like to access the show notes or share a link for this episode with a friend, the link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 310. Please do share that link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 310. I know I say that every episode, and we're growing because you're sharing. So please, if you haven't shared this episode or any other episodes, now's your opportunity. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 310. Type it into your email and send it to a friend right now. I would appreciate that because that's how we're growing and getting the word, getting the word out about Entree Architect and what we're doing here. Hey, and if you've just recently launched your small firm, is that you? Did you just recently start a small firm or you're planning to launch within the next 12 months? Then you, my friend, are a startup architect. And congratulations, because that is a huge step. I know that it takes a lot of courage to take that leap. And those of you who've done this know how difficult it is to make that leap to start a new architecture firm. So we here at Entree Architect wanted to make it a little bit easier for you startup architects. We have something very special to help you get launched and put you on the right track for a successful firm far into the future. It's called the Entree Architect Startup Mastermind, and it's not just another peer group. This is our 14th, 14th mastermind group here at Entree Architect. We have 13 other mastermind groups. This mastermind group is special, the Startup Mastermind. Not only will you become a member of a professional peer group exclusive and dedicated to startup architects, you will have access to our full membership of experienced architects inside the member forum. You'll be able to ask questions and they'll answer them. They're ready to help you. And we'll have special guests and support just for you, for your group. Our goal is to get you launched with success so that you may become the best architect you can be and build a stronger profession and better serve the world. That's how it works. Stronger businesses, better profession, better serve the world. That's how it works. And as a very special bonus, only for the Entree Architect Startup Mastermind, we put together the Entree Architect Startup Launch Kit. It's only for this group, and it's only for the 12 members who join the Entree Architect Startup Mastermind. It's worth more than $1,400, and it's free to the 12 members who join the Entree Architect Startup Mastermind. 
Ready to learn more? Visit entrearchitect.com slash startup. Everything's there for you to understand what's happening. Not a startup architect? That's okay. That's most of you. Help me spread the word. Share that link with a friend. entrearchitect.com slash startup. Hope to see you, the startup architects, in that group. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. You have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. 
gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.